Good morning and welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here and it's awesome to have you with us. I want to say hello to uh, those of you joining us in our parent viewing area. It's a great option if you do have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. I also want to say hello to those of you joining us at our online campus uh, and our microsite. Awesome to have you with us as well. And um, before we jump into the talk this morning, let me just uh, mention a couple of things. First, uh, for those of you in the room, I'm uh, coming to you from the screen because I've been experiencing uh, some sickness over the last few days and uh, just thought it would be cautious to not be in the building around a bunch of people. And so I uh, came in on uh, Saturday and filmed this and uh, wanted to make sure that we could continue with our series on First Peter and this series called Identity. And so um, thanks for indulging us this week and being flexible. Uh, and before we jump into the talk, let me just address uh, one other thing. Uh, in two weeks from today, we have our legacy offering. And we're going to be receiving that offering that's above and beyond our regular giving to give towards special projects, both uh, globally and locally. So we're not trying to create uh, any new organizations or new nonprofits. What we're doing is identifying those that are already being the hands and feet of Jesus, both in our community and around the world, and then doing our best to help fund the work that they're doing. And so uh, each year, uh, around this time, before Thanksgiving, we receive this legacy offering. It's a part of our legacy project because we determined that we don't want our story to be about us and about what we did in any one particular year. We want our story to have ripple effects that uh, outlives our lives. We want our generosity to leave a legacy that goes even beyond our lifespan. And so uh, as a result of that, uh, we give towards these global projects, uh, things like Charity Water, where we were able to uh, dig a well for a, a community and a village that needs it. Uh, things like Venture that uh, not only does um, border patrol stations uh, to fight human trafficking, but uh, feeding programs for those that are uh, in desperate need of food. And we've also partnered with local initiatives, uh, things like The Nest and Great River Family Promise and uh, YWAM and different groups here locally that are doing great work in people's lives. And so we're going to ask you to just pray and uh, uh, consider what God would have you give and then just be obedient to whatever God has you to give. And our, our goal in this is simply 100% participation. Just that 100% of us would just say, God, what would you have me do with what you've entrusted to me? And then we give that at this one-time offering. And uh, whatever comes in on that, we get to fund these initiatives, and then you'll get to see stories and pictures and things that happen as we roll those funds out to these different groups. And uh, you'll get to see the work that your generosity is doing right here in our community and around the world. And so this is, again, above and beyond our regular giving. So if you're regular give, don't just shift that over for this uh, one time. Uh, continue to give your regular giving. That's how we fund the budget. But um, this is just one time above and beyond uh, to give towards this special legacy offering. So pray and consider what God would have you do. And then on November 21st, uh, we're going to receive that offering during that service. Now, as we jump into uh, week six, we are in week six of this series called Identity, and uh, we've been working our way through 1 Peter, and we're continuing to journey through uh, Peter's first letter. It's written to followers of Jesus who are scattered throughout the uh, northern provinces of Europe and the Roman Empire, and this is our sixth week, and when you think about what we've covered so far, it's pretty wild. So let me, let me just walk you through it briefly. Week one, we said that uh, we have a living hope that our hope is not in a something, it's in a someone. And that because Jesus overcame death, uh, we have a hope that's alive. And then the second week, we talked about this idea that holiness is about not what we do to earn our way to God, but it's about what God has already done for us. It's about what Jesus has done for us. And that uh, we love others well as a result of that. 
And then the third week, we talked about this idea that we are a royal priesthood, that we are each of us priests, meaning that we have access to God and we have access to the scriptures, that we can do the things that uh, any pastor can do, that each of us is in ministry. And uh, this incredible sort of imagery with that as the, uh, this curtain in the temple that was uh, separating the, the most holy place from the outer courts ripped in half from top to bottom when Jesus was crucified. And when that barrier was split in two, so was every barrier that keeps you away from God. You have direct access to God. You have direct access to his throne. You have direct access to the scriptures. And you are in ministry as a follower of Jesus. And so there's responsibilities that come with that and privileges that come along with that. And then week four, we said our citizenship actually determines our responses and the way we respond to authority and the way that we respond to criticism and adversity and suffering. And last week, it really determines our responses to each other as husband and wife. And the way that we treat each other is that we would practice mutual submission, submitting to one another. In other words, deferring to one another, a race to the back of the line, not because our spouse deserves it, but because of how Jesus has treated us. And now we continue to read through this letter of 1 Peter, and he continues this same theme that we've seen over and over and over again. This is what God has done, so now this is who you are, so this is how you should live. This is what God has done. This is who we are. This is how we live. This is what God has done. This is who we are. Now this is how we live. And so as we check out these verses that we're going to go through today in chapter 3, I just want to look at four big reminders that Peter gives his readers and he gives to us as well. And so the first one is this. uh, An eternal perspective ought to affect our present. An eternal perspective ought to affect our present. Throughout this letter, Peter is reminding us that our citizenship is in heaven. Our lives are going to look different than the rest of the people who live here on earth. And our lives are measured in years, not centuries, not millennia. Uh, Yet the scriptures are so clear that we are eternal beings. Think about that. And what would happen if we lived our relatively short lifespan here on earth with our forever home in heaven at the forefront of our minds? I think that that would change the way that we handle our finances. I think it would change the way we handle our parenting. I think it would affect the way that we uh, uh, do marriage. I think it would uh, impact uh, our jobs and the the way that we work, and it would impact the way we handle friendships and relationships, and on and on and on. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus whose citizenship is rooted in eternity, and nothing about your present life looks any different from anyone else, then it's possible that your eternal mindset isn't actually affecting your present. And so listen to what Peter writes. He says, Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Remember, Peter had been saying over and over and over again that while our citizenship is in heaven, our feet are still here on earth. We are temporary residents, but we are still residents. And I think the tension is that sometimes Christians, with our hearts in heaven, do a bad job living here on earth. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, some Christians are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. If we're not careful, our eternal perspective can lead us to sort of this escapist mentality. 
that says, you know, I can't wait for Jesus to just come back and, and get us out of here because this is such a wicked world. And the truth is, it's a world that's filled with people Jesus loves and for whom Jesus died. And so while we have citizenship in heaven, our feet are still here on earth, and we should be eager to do good for others. And remember, Peter is writing to a group of people who are being persecuted for following Jesus. And he says this to them, who would want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Now, I can imagine these first century followers of Jesus reading this from Peter, and they must be thinking to themselves, uh, well, there's this guy named Nero, and uh, perhaps you've heard of him because he kind of sucks. Uh, he, I, he's trying to hurt us. Uh, he wants to harm us for doing good. But remember, this is one continuous thought running through this letter. Remember, we said that the chapters and the verses got added much later in history. And so this is one continuous letter that Peter is writing. So he's saying, you're citizens of heaven. You have the hope that overcomes death. So you don't have to worry about those who threaten you. Generally speaking, when you do good to others, you'll win their hearts. But even if you don't and you suffer, your reward is in heaven. You still should be eager to do good because that is how citizens of heaven behave. It's almost as if Peter can remember when he was with Jesus. When Jesus said to his disciples, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. So how do we live? With our hearts set in heaven, but live beautiful lives with our feet here on the earth. How do we have that eternal perspective and still change the way that we impact people's lives? And Peter says, it's going to go better for you if you're eager to do good. Why don't you bless this world? Why don't you live a life that would cause people around you, co-workers around you, neighbors around you, people you go to school with around you, other drivers around you, uh, people who don't know Jesus around you? What if you lived your life in such a way that it points people to heaven even while your feet are firmly planted here on earth? Because our eternal perspective ought to make an impact in the present. Secondly, here's what Peter reminds us. Jesus isn't only our Savior, he's also our Lord. There is a reason that you've heard us say so many times at Westbridge Church, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. We can come as we are because Jesus is our Savior. Because of his grace, we don't have to do anything to come to him. He invites us to come as is, and he accepts us as is, but he loves us too much to leave us as is. And so Peter writes this, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. We come as we are to Jesus, our Savior. But if we're going to continue to follow him, we must understand that he is also our Lord, which means that sometimes I have to say no to me in order to say yes to him and his way of living. When you look at the currency that was used in the Roman Empire, when you look at the coins that were used in the Roman Empire, inscribed on each Roman coin was the phrase, Caesar is Lord. It was a way that Caesar could declare his divinity. And yet, for followers of Jesus, they understood that they only had one Lord, and they, they only answered to Jesus. They would remind each other, Jesus is Lord. 
and in a climate that taught Caesar is Lord, you can see why this is so subversive. Because they were building their life on something different. Worship Christ as the Lord of your life, Peter says. Now, listen to the way that the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He writes this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul, like Peter, is challenging us not simply to see Jesus as our Savior, which he is. He rescues us from our sin. He gives us his grace. But it's more than just rescuing us from something. It's rescuing us for something. It's more than just forgiving our sins. It's saying, you are now my Lord. You are now the leader of my life. And see, to make him our Lord, that we, that we do our best to fit Jesus, not just into the margins of our lives, but that we actually bend our lives to him. And sometimes... I think it's tempting for us to enjoy the benefits of having Jesus as our Savior without surrendering our life to him as our Lord, as the leader of our life. We, we, we sort of follow Jesus when it is convenient for us. We sort of wear the label Christian when it's convenient for us. And sometimes it's tempting to receive Jesus the Savior, but want to shut out Jesus the leader or Jesus the Lord the Lord of my life. Peter says we're to worship Christ as the Lord of our life, which means that we don't simply conform to the way society functions, but that when our way of doing something bumps into God's way of doing something, we say no to our way of doing it so that we can say yes to God's way. We say yes to God's ways before we even know the outcome. We say yes because you're the Lord. You're the leader. I'm building my life around you. I'm not, I'm not just going to serve you when it's convenient for me or when it fits into the margins of my life, but I'm going to build my life around you. You're at the center. You're the foundation upon which I'm building my life. So you're the Lord. You're the leader. There's a story about Mickey Cohen, who was a um, pretty big mobster. In 1949, Billy Graham uh, came to the uh, Coliseum in Los Angeles. And he did a crusade there, and uh, a, a guy who worked for um, Mickey Cohen named Jim Voss went to Billy Graham's crusade and had this just radical experience. And he, he gave his life to Jesus. And he went back and, and uh, he basically told Mickey Cohen that he started following Jesus and he wanted to retire uh, from the mob, which is not really something that you do, but uh, in sort of an unprecedented move, Mickey let uh, Jim Voss retire. He said, okay, I'll, I'll let you out, and, uh, and, and he went and lived his life. But sort of through that process, uh, Mickey Cohen uh, kind of became uh, intrigued with Christianity and uh, had some conversations with Billy Graham, and uh, the two of them became friends. And a couple of years later, um, Mickey Cohen was uh, found guilty on tax evasion and sentenced to several years in prison. Well, after he got out of prison, he had uh, a number of friends who were still friends with Billy Graham and who had become Christians, including Jim Voss. And, 
and they were encouraging him to, uh, you know, you should really think about following Jesus. You should really think about uh, what it means to follow Jesus. This could be a, such a big change in your life, and, and this is good for you. And the more that Mickey Cohen uh, was intrigued by it, uh, he, he came to this point in his life where he said, um, well, I don't want to have to give up my career. I don't want to have to give up my friends. I don't want to have to give up those things. After all, he said there's uh, Christian athletes and Christian rock stars. Why can't there be a Christian gangster? And so <laughs> it's interesting when you think about that. To follow Jesus is not, hey, I'm just going to be a Christian dot, dot, dot. Hey, I'm just going to be, uh, live my life however I want to and throw the word Christian in front of it because I like the fact that Jesus saves me, but I just don't want to actually follow his ways. I don't want him to lead me. Jesus is both our Savior and our Lord, which means he not only rescues us, but he asks us to follow his way of living. So a disciple of Jesus, somebody who is following Jesus, says, I'm trying to make a decision. God, how would you handle this? Then that's how I'll handle this. I'm trying to figure out how to respond to a situation. How would you respond? Then that's how I'll respond. What would you do if you were me? Then that's what I'll do. Where are you going? Then that's where I'm going. How would you react to this? How do you live your life and manage relationships? Then that's how I'm going to live my life and manage my relationships. When Jesus is Lord, then we say, give me direction. Show me how to live my life. And before you even tell me or show me, I just want you to know the answer is yes. That's how a citizen of heaven behaves. Jesus isn't just our Savior. He is our Lord. He is the leader of our life. Number three, your story provides hope for others. There's something incredibly powerful about your story. Uh, do you know one of the most powerful phrases in all of the English language is me too. Me too. When you discover that someone else has been where you're at and you see how far uh, they've come out on the other side, something comes to life inside of you. When you see someone who's been through some of the things that you've been through, something in you says, man, if they made it, so can I. You yelled at your kids this week? Me too. Oh, you yelled at them this morning? Me too, <laughs> right? It's like, you have questions about the Bible? Me too. Oh, you lose your temper sometimes? Me too. You tried to pray this week and you fell asleep? Me too. Oh, you destroyed an entire bag of Doritos by yourself at 11 p.m.? Me too, right? That's, that's why we do groups. We find hope in each other's stories. We find hope when we sit around a circle with other people and we recognize that, man, their story is similar to mine. I thought I was the only one, but actually I recognize other people are going through what I've gone through. And there's actually hope in that. And then we discover that the one hope that we all share in common is the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And that's why Peter continues to write and he says this, and if someone asks about your hope, as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Peter says that when we look at our lives and we see all that God has done for us, sharing our story actually brings hope to others. But notice, he doesn't say this, have a snappy and thoughtful rebuttal for every philosophical argument that might be tossed at you. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying it's your hope. It's your story. What's the difference that Jesus has made in your life? You don't have to have a doctorate in theological studies to make an impact in somebody else's life. You just have to be prepared to share the reason for the hope that you have. 
There's this story of a woman at the well who ran to the people in her community. In John chapter 4, she says, Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? It's the story of a man who was healed of blindness by Jesus and was confronted time and time again by the Pharisees and religious leaders because he was healed on a Sabbath, which was against their custom. And after receiving healing, he's questioned. And then his parents are questioned. And then he's questioned again. And finally, kind of at his limit, he says, Look, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know anything about who healed me. All I know is this. I was blind and now I can see. That's all I know. I was blind and now I can see. I can tell you my story. I can tell you you why I have hope. And isn't that the most compelling message of hope? Imagine these first century followers of Jesus who have received this letter from Peter and they're sharing their stories with each other. Hey, I I used to return evil with more evil, an eye for an eye. But because of Jesus, I've learned to forgive. And I no longer carry around this burden of hatred. Uh, I used to leverage my power as a man over women. But because of Jesus, I've learned to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I used to cheat my employer. But because of Jesus, I recognize that is not how he wants me to behave. And I've actually repaid what I stole. Who would do that? Who would live that way? people whose citizenship is in heaven while their feet are here on earth. And some of our stories are exactly the same. Some of you, these are your stories. I used to only think of myself. I used to be pretty self-absorbed and and lived only for what would bring me pleasure, but because of Jesus, my eyes have been opened that the best way to live is to put others first. You know, I used to be filled with anger towards someone who hurt me, but because of Jesus, I've learned how to forgive, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus forgave me. And now I'm able to extend that forgiveness to others. I used to use drugs or alcohol as an escape mechanism for the things going on in my life, but because of Jesus, that void has been filled. And so I don't need to use those things to self-medicate anymore. I used to be filled with fear, but because of Jesus, I look forward to the future with optimism and courage. See, I don't know how the future is going to go. I have no guarantee that it will be pain-free or trouble-free. But because of the promises of Jesus and because he died and rose again, I have hope. I have my eyes set on eternity because of the promises of Jesus. Never underestimate the power of your story to bring hope to others. And Peter says, always be ready to give an explanation to others about the hope that you have as a believer. Finally, number four, our presentation matters. Our presentation matters. Peter says we should be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have, but that our presentation matters. Here's what he writes next. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Here it is again. It's this same theme that has been woven throughout this letter. As citizens of heaven, the way we conduct ourselves here on earth really makes a difference. It makes a difference in our interactions with governing authority. It makes a difference in our interactions with criticism and adversity and suffering. It makes a difference in our interactions with our spouse. It makes a difference in our interactions with one another in the body of Christ. And it makes a difference 
when it comes to our interactions with somebody who has hurt us and someone who has wronged us, that we don't return evil for evil, but that we return evil with good because ultimately it's not just what we say, but how we say it that makes all the difference in someone's life. Remember, our goal in relationships is never to win against people. Excuse me for just a minute. Someone's calling. Here we go. Uh, remember, our goal in relationships is never to win against people, but to win them over. Our goal is to win them over because that's what Jesus did for us. And unfortunately, there are some followers of Jesus who cause the message of Jesus to lose credibility because of their approach and because of their tone. In Matthew 10, Jesus says this, Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. That means we use wisdom, but we also do our best not to offend simply for offense's sake. We, we can turn people away from Jesus if we're not careful of the way that we present Jesus. And unfortunately, the reputation that Christians sometimes get is that, you know, Christians are just judgmental, homophobic moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven and secretly relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. And if that's the overwhelming message that comes ringing through, then there's something wrong with our presentation. Our lives should point people to the love and grace of Jesus. And Peter's reminding us the best way to convince people of the hope that we profess is not only through our story, but also through the way that we live our lives. If those two things don't match up, then we lose credibility and influence in our culture. Brendan Manning was a famous Christian author who is well known for this quote. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. If your lifestyle matches up with the hope that you profess, it doesn't mean everyone will always agree with you, but at least they won't be able to, to, to discredit you and the message of Jesus. Our hope, my prayer, is that people who experience Westbridge Church, that they would walk away and they would say this, you know, I'm not really sure about all this Jesus stuff, but that is the nicest group of people I've ever met. You know, I'm not sure where I stand with all this Jesus stuff, but I love being around those people. They keep their word. They treat others with kindness. They walk with each other through difficulties. They seem to really care about others. So let's put all this together. Here's what Peter says. We are citizens of heaven, right? That's our identity. And our past never determines our identity, but our identity ought to determine our behavior. Meaning, because we're citizens of heaven, that should have an impact in our presence. We are citizens of heaven, but we are still here on earth. And while our feet are still planted here on earth, we should be eager to do good because that is how citizens of heaven behave. But we don't add Jesus into the margins of our lives, and we don't follow Jesus when it's convenient for us. We're grateful that Jesus is our Savior, but we also make him our Lord. We make Jesus the center, and we build our lives around him and his way of living, which means that we sometimes say no to ourselves in order to say yes to Jesus. And we should always be ready to share the reason for the hope that we have. And finally, the message of Jesus loses credibility 
if we don't live a good life towards others. Because our goal is never to win against others. Our goal is always to win them over. Because that's what Jesus did for us. These are such simple reminders for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And maybe you needed to be reminded to be eager to do good things. Maybe you've sort of lost some of your passion to do good things. And maybe you needed to be reminded that as citizens of heaven, with, if, our, if our mindset and our perspective is set on heaven, that it should make a difference in the way that we live here and now. Or maybe you realize, you know, Jesus is something that I sometimes add into my life when it's convenient for me. But he's not the foundation upon which I'm building my life. Maybe you realize he's your savior, but you've yet to make him your Lord. You have yet to say, Jesus, you're the leader of my life, and I want to fully surrender. Like, you're in charge. I want you to take the steering wheel of my life, and I want to completely surrender my life to you. And so you've said yes to the grace part, but you have yet to say, I want to fully build my life around you. You come as you are because of Jesus, the Savior but you begin to change when you make him the Lord. And maybe that's your next step as you're watching this today. Maybe today is the day that you commit to follow his ways and build your life around them. Or maybe you've never said yes to following Jesus. And you need to know that you were created to exist in loving community with God and others. And yet, every one of us from the very beginning broke away from that and said, God, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to live life my own way, and it caused brokenness between us and God and brokenness between one another. And throughout human history, we've been trying to figure out how to fix that. And that's why God, at the right time in human history, sent his son Jesus into the world to show us God's love. And in the ultimate expression of love, he allowed himself to be put to death. His body was laid in a tomb. And according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. That's why this hope that we have is a hope that's alive because it's rooted in the one who overcame death, which means there's more to this life than this life, and you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family forever. And if you have never said yes to that, I want to invite you to say yes to that invitation by just agreeing with this simple prayer as we close. For the rest of you, maybe you would say, you know what, I want to fully surrender I'm grateful for God's forgiveness and, and I've said yes to, to, to the invitation to be a part of God's family, but I haven't fully surrendered my life and I want to fully make him my Lord. Wherever you sit, wherever, whatever camp or side of this thing you find yourself on, I invite you to take that next step. Let's pray together. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you and I thank you that you never walked away from me. And I want to say yes to the invitation to be a part of your family. Make me your son, make me your daughter. And then God, for every one of us, our prayer is this. Help us not just to be grateful that you're our savior, but help us to make you our Lord. May we surrender our life to you. May we build our life upon you. May we recognize that you are the leader of our life and let that impact the way that we live, the decisions that we make the way that we treat each other, the way that we handle finances and parenting and marriage and friendships and employment and all of the different things that go on in our lives. May we follow you as our 
leader and our Lord. God, in doing that, may we, as citizens of heaven, make a huge impact here on earth. We pray this in your name. Amen.